Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio Right here on the radio. Dr. Weefault, how you doing? I'm good today. How good. about you? Yeah, terrific. I'm going to complain about a, a small, you know, illness, but it, that's later. You can later. complain all you want. Yeah, it's the interesting thing, and just as an aside, yeah. I have patients come in all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, how you doing? And they say, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. great. And then tell by their body language or anything, <laughs> they're not fine. I say, well, why don't you tell me what's wrong? And the first thing they say is... I don't want to complain, but, <laughs> and I look at yeah, the patients yeah, yeah. and I say, come on, complain. In fact, then what I show them yes. on the notes that I have on them, yeah. it says chief complaint. Yes. So if you go to your doctor, you're not supposed to be one of these, you know, nice, you know, compliant, mm-hmm. friendly people. I mean, if you're feeling bad, complain right. about it. All right. Because that's what we're there to try to figure out. Good. I will. I will on the Today Show. We're going to talk about the Fitbit, which is that the watch? Yeah. The, the wearable? Fitbit, you know, it's sort of an alternative to the Apple Watch, but it's. I think it came out first. Okay. And it's got a catchy name. And I, I'm, I'm very encouraged about the way technology is evolving so that these devices are actually, I think, pretty soon. And mm-hmm. sometimes now, yeah. going to be very helpful in health monitoring. So, hey, let's talk about that. We'll talk about that. Also, remember the pre-med student from last week or the week before who Boo. stuck a patient and was sort of gleeful that it had to happen twice. Yep. And uh, you're never going to believe the update on that. Also, someone who is involved in transgender therapy, who in fact is transgender has now written a uh, an essay saying this has gone too far way too far unbelievable so listen yep. to the show we're going we're going to get ourselves in trouble uh fitbit if you get well, we yeah. actually we've got so, a guest yeah, coming so on the, the show the fitbits are yeah. yeah you want to talk about it now we'll just talk about the, the, your guest is coming in who yeah. is this uh, dr chris Giggy. Yeah. Now, Dr. Giggy is going to be my, well, he's actually been training in my office for the last year. So some of you patients who are listening yeah. have met him and he's going to have a new role, a brand new role that I think is going to be game changing yeah. for a lot of uh, practice groups. And I think it's going to address um, the kind of things that Chris is going to do and does. That's great. He's going to address a real big problem. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Have a seat. Get yourself near a microphone. Physician shortage that we're coming up against. Do we have a physician shortage? We definitely are going to. If we don't now, we're definitely going to have one very soon. And um, here's the problem is that we have all these physicians who have MDs. Right. who are well-trained but can't practice medicine. Right. And we're going to talk about why, and we're going to talk about what possibly can be done uh, to you know keep things going. Okay. 
let Chris get uh, comfortable. Sure. Which of the other things do you want to jump into? Well, I, I right think now? this multiple sclerosis um, issue and yeah. some new findings are potentially game changers in the field. And I want to talk about um, what we're doing in terms of research into multiple sclerosis, MS, as they say. Right. And um, what may be a game-changing, um, disease-reversing uh, new therapy. So this is, if, if somebody's got a friend who's got MS, yeah. call them, have them listen to the radio. Yeah, because I think there's real hope now for the future. There's a, I'm gonna talk, the studies are amazing. Okay. All right. Chris, how you doing? Hi, great. How are you doing? Good. Um, we, uh, Chris Giggy. Yes, yes? That's, that's right. And Chris, are you foreign born or foreign trained? Is that the story? Uh, well, I'm I'm from North Carolina. I'm from you Pine are. Level, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But pine, I, I did, as they say, Pine Level. Pine Level, yeah. Pine yeah. Level. Oh, he's from he's, around he here. He talks like oh, yeah. he's from New York. I do. We? Okay, well, yeah, everybody thinks he's a New Yorker. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so where did you train? Uh, well, I did uh, the first part of medical school out of the country, so that was just you know class oh, classroom you work. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So I did get your story right. Mm-hmm. Where where yeah, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was an uh, island. Called yeah. Dominica is in the West Indies. Yeah, or you know, Caribbean. So that's Dominica, um, not Dominica. The the natives say D- Dominica. Dominica, Nica, Nica. Remember that song? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't remember. But you, but what is what is then? Okay, so you you so needed to get something else, right? In order to get fully trained as uh, a USMD. Yeah, so you went to the U.S. in mm-hmm. what New York and some other yeah, places New York. to do was called clinical. So right. the traditional med school was two years of basic science. Right. And then two years uh, on the wards uh, with doctors and patients learning, right. you know, the nuts and bolts. So you did that in, in America. Yeah, I did all the clinicals in uh, yeah. New York. And, all in New uh, York. Queens and uh, the Bronx uh-huh. and Brooklyn. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. So, and then what happened? And that's my question. Then yeah. what happened? Yeah. Well, I... I Took all my board exams and, you know, you apply to residency is very competitive. Right. And I just haven't been picked. Yeah. You know, the so. biggest problem, I think, and it's it's much harder for foreign medical grads to get a residency. It is, is a that not bit, right? It is a little bit more difficult. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. right now, it's not just the foreign medical grad. Right. I mean, there were, I think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, about 40,000 slots for residency programs. Right. Now, remember, you can't get licensed in the United States in any state without a residency. Okay, so that's the problem. And this is, as we recognize, you guys have lived through it, but yeah. I recognize from the TV uh, medical shows, mm-hmm. this is where the kid just mostly stays at the hospital all the time. Oh, my gosh. And is, and is working a lot. Mm-hmm. And is the ground floor doctor yeah. go see so and so in number three? Right. And you ha- you'd have to do that for how long? Well, it, uh, there's an internship that right. lasts a year, and then two years of a residency. So suppose I was in internal medicine. I did an internship in internal medicine at Johns Hopkins, and then I did two years of residency. Right. So you're a junior resident, then a senior resident. Right. And then some people stay on and become chief resident, and that's you know a fourth year. And then you go to fellowship, and fellowships used to be two years. Now they're four. 
So I did seven years of training after medical school to become a cardiologist. And so, you know, it it has become a real problem. And they can't get hospitals and, and um, academic medical centers to expand the number of people in residency programs. Why and is I think that? part of it is, is that they can't afford it. Um, residents are paid right. very small amounts of money. Yes, they are. And it used to be that we were uh, the, a very cheap source of labor. So when I was at Johns Hopkins, I drew the blood. Right. I pushed the patient on the gurney down to the CT scan. Sure. I went down to the ER and got the patient and brought him through these basement tunnels up to the bed and right. put him in the bed. Well, now they've got phlebotomists, they've got transport people, everything. Right. right. And so the focus of residency now is much more on education than it was. We call it scut, scut mm-hmm. work. Okay. Yeah. So go draw the blood when you're a student. I mean, sure. that's the great thing that the interns and residents just pick on the students like yeah. there's no tomorrow. Okay. So yeah. if I understand your relationship with Dr. Weefold, who, you know, we're pretty comfortable with Dr. Mm-hmm. Weefold. Really? You're doing his gut work. No. Is that true? No. Absolutely no. not. Okay. Abs- no. All right. Uh, so there's a thing now, and we'll go back 50,000 apply for 40,000 slots. Yeah. And they have this thing called the match. For residency. Yes, yes. And so you put the number, the ones you want, yeah. they put the ones they want, and they try to match. And, you know, what happens if, if you've gone to, say, the University of Wisconsin, and, you know, they're going to look at the numbers of people who are American-trained, right. and then if you've gone to uh, Dominica, and even though you've got really good uh, ratings from when you were in New York doing your yeah. um, fellow, I mean your um, clerkships, they call them. Right? Do they call that. Yeah, they still call them yeah. And uh, so it's hard to match. And but you so prove- now we have all these doctors, doctors, physicians. This is you know Doctor Giggy, right? Uh, who can't practice because they're not licensed. All right. So how do we work that out? Well, there's a new program out. Uh, called the assistant physician. Now, North Carolina has not embraced it, but there are many states now. And basically what it is, is you can practice with the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Yeah. And so uh, what Chris has been doing in my office is training yeah. and teaching him everything. He already knows more than I do about a lot of things. In fact, I, well, I at the end of the day, I say, Chris, go look this uh, up. And then next <laughs> time we see each other, give me a spiel about it. And I've learned a lot. And so the assistant physician is going to see the patient, uh, get an idea of what's going on, go over the medicines, you know, f- formulate a plan. And then the physician will see the patient with the assistant physician. Right. And then once everything has gone over, the assistant physician will, you know, educate and everything else, but will not write prescriptions because that is something you can only do if you're licensed. Now, hopefully, and I think what's going to happen is over time, maybe after five years, it's like an apprenticeship almost. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like uh, what they used to do for other professions. Hopefully they'll be able to get licensed and and have uh, another niche. But the physician assistant is different. Okay? Right. So the physician assistant goes to a separate school called Physicians PA School. They're called PAs. Yes. And one of the things that I've been objecting to is that they, some of them now want to call themselves assistant physicians. And I think that's wrong because the physician assistant 
focuses on the second word assistant. Yeah. Whereas the assistant physician focuses on the fact that mm. people like Chris are physicians. They are. They've gone through four years of medical training. So tell tell everybody what you've been doing in the office and how um, it's been good mm. for you. I mean, it's been a thing that you well, like. First of all, I think it's a, a great way to approach medicine. The experience I'm getting is invaluable. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I'm just learning he has to so put much. Up, has to put up with my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> which is the hardest wow. thing. But the best thing is I that's feed hard. Them. I feed them. Yeah. You feed them. Okay. I, well, I oh. buy lunch for everybody. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, pizza very bad <laughs> but are you are you drawing blood do you uh, draw blood typically i, I can draw blood and you can do it I, but guess who does draws the blood in the office i know you got Moi. you you, yeah. because I, you know the thing is i'm probably the last doctor in the united states who draws blood right and i i hate to say it and this is we'll talk about uh this you're, other this other med student you're gonna i actually like to do it you like doing it yeah you spend more time with the patient. It's yeah, that, see, the on. whole point is, what do they do, Chris? I mean, most other doctors will say, uh, here, take this to the lab, mm-hmm. and yeah. then they'll draw the blood. Now, they've already waited an extra hour in my office, right? So that's another reason why I do it yes. um, is because then they just get it done. And sure. Like Chris is, Chris is right. I mean, there's more time with the patient. Yeah. So while I'm drawing blood, Chris is putting the gag in. So they don't scream. <laughs> no, you know, no, so no, we, no. We do not say that. People will take it no, seriously. No, it's interesting because the way I do it, they don't hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's no, most of the time. I well, would it, say I, I hit the vein 96%. Right. Before. We had to keep yeah. that statistic. I've only seen you miss once and have yeah. to do a second yeah. attempt. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't gloat over that either. I apologize. Uh, all right, we'll talk about yeah. that in just a little bit. Yeah. Dr. Chris Giggy. You're going to be here for a while? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And Dr. Franklin Weefall. Well, I'm actually going to have – I hope people call in yeah. and talk about his role um, because, you know, he's going to be um, assisting me. But also, yeah. you know, the go-to guy for the initial, you know, uh, questions and problems. But the difference between a physician's assistant and Chris is that we're going to work together on every single patient. For a PA who's at a level of um, training that right. he or she can operate pseudo-independently, right. Chris and I are going to have a, a different thing. They're going to see the both of us all mm-hmm. the time. Well, that's good. A couple and of think, MDs. Yeah, two heads are most of the time better than one. We have more MDs by 50% than we've or is it by 100%? I don't yeah. know. I don't do numbers well. The yeah. fact is we got more doctors than we usually have here in the studio. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> this is Heart Health Radio. We're going to talk about somebody who drew blood and, shall we say, missed a vein. And gloated about and it. And gloated about it. That's coming Boo. up next. This is Heart Health Radio. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at hearthealthradio.com. The website. This is uh, troubling. Yeah. This doctor. Yeah, I'm not. She's not a. She's not a doctor. Either. Not a she's doctor. A med, med student. student. So, Chris, when you were a med student, mm-hmm. I mean, what did they try to instill in you about um, how you treat a patient in terms of honor? And respect. I mean, wasn't that beat into you right. 
completely. Well, it's all about you know being uh, oriented to the patient and you know creating this uh, special relationship. And it's patient first, right? It is patient first. Patient mm-hmm. first, doctor yeah. second. Well, not even second, family second. Sure. So, you know, Chris, you would draw blood as a med student. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you missed, it was always, I'm sorry, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to mention this woman's name, okay? Because I, I think, you know, she's a student. Right. She's, you know, deserves some degree of protection, although you can look it up and she is mentioned. We talked about this last week. She had on her lapel or on her white coat, um, my pronouns are he, she. No, her pro- her pronouns are she, her. Oh, did yeah, I say she, he, she? Yeah, you said he, oh, she. Oh, Lord. Have the fact mercy. is she has a traditional I, setup yeah. of pronouns. Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay, my pronoun would be your royal highness. Okay. Exactly. I mean, you know, yes. that's my pronoun. If you're, if you're, if you're going to be able to pick your own pronouns, mine would be your royal. Okay. Husband. I said so. he, she. I meant her, she, her. Yeah, right. Right. So but, the guy started laughing. I mean, yeah. and whether or not you disagree with this individual's uh, patient's um, perception of the world, okay, right. may not be on the left-wing, pro-LGBTQ, WXYZ. Right. That doesn't matter. Right, Chris? Go ahead. I mean, didn't you see people that, you know, when you were a student, that you would definitely disagree with them? Oh, absolutely. And their yeah. political views and, and everything pe- else? People might be rude or right. angry and, or whatever. And what did you do? <laughs> I guess just try to like be nice, yeah. Else. Well, not try to be nice. I mean, I mean it, it's and there's no comment, right? No, you can't comment, and you shouldn't comment on their personal views. Sure. Because the job right then and there is to deliver loving, professional care because that's a human being in front of you. So, you know, she misses the vein. Right. And apparently did turn it over. Um, in this training session, they had a pro yeah. vein sticker, phlebotomist. <laughs> I can't believe my brain today. Pro vein, vein sticker. sticker. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> anyway, um, and the phlebotomist got it on the next chance. Now, okay, be that as it may. But her problem was. On Twitter. She tweeted. Yeah, and she bragged about it, okay? Oh. And she said, this patient didn't like my she, her yeah. Uh, name tag. In fact, he was laughing about it. And, yeah. And apparently yeah. said, "Oh my God, what else is there?" You know. Uh, you know. And and this is the way the guy thinks, and she didn't like it. So <laughs> she may not have stuck him again, but she bragged about the fact well, that he had to get it. Stuck was it on again. purpose, though? Yeah. Did she miss on purpose? It knowing, sounded as if it yeah. may have been intentional. You're absolutely. And right. even if it wasn't, it was gleeful. Right. Oh, I'm so glad I, you know. And so what did what did the medical school say? They backed her up. Yeah. Yeah. This is Wake Forest. I'm going to name Wake Forest. Wake sorry. Forest University School yeah. of Medicine defended the student, despite her admitting to having missed the victim's vein, victim's vein, during the blood draw. Wow, a victim. You go from, from patient to victim and really so quickly whole, around no, here. No, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. Because if she turned that person from a patient into a victim, yeah, that in and of itself is a horrifying thing for me. 
as a mm-hmm. physician, yeah. as a member mm-hmm. of the medical community. And so, you know, you can guess why, you know, Wake Forest decided to let it go. Um, and I think it has to do with the fear of backlash um, from the LGBTQT community. Mm-hmm. They, they may agree. I mean, uh, they're run by academics. All these yeah. programs are administered by academics. Yeah. And, but and you know the, Yeah, but you know the thing is, the, the whole idea is you said last week, fire her. Oh, I would not just fire her. Yes. I would make it so she could position again. Right. And because, my thought yeah. was, that's a lot of education down the tubes, as it were. Yeah. And so maybe I'm being a little harsh, okay? Maybe just maybe. And it has nothing to do with her pronouns. I mean, it could have been, right, that she had a Biden sticker on her um, a coat and the guy was a Trump person. Right. It could have been that. It has nothing to do in my mind, with the fact that it was about these um, pronouns that, you know, the snowflakes are promoting. Right. And it has to do with, you know, disagreement with a patient's personal views. Yes. And gleefully um, uh, talking about how the patient suffered and, be, at, and, and implying it was a direct reason why right. the patient suffered. So, you know, it's like, you know, my college, Princeton, I, I am pretty upset about because they are caving in now to all of these political correct um, issues. They took Woodrow Wilson, president of the United States. They took his name off everything right. at I, Princeton because he was indeed a racist. Okay, There's no doubt about it. Okay. And the bottom line, though, is that he did a lot of great things and some really bad things. Sure. And what you do in that situation, in my opinion, is you say, this is a guy who did a lot of great things and he did some bad things. Right. But we don't dishonor him because of the bad things. I mean, can you name a single politician who would not be canceled by something they did? No, not really. I mean, you know, Franklin D. Roosevelt, did you know that he was personally responsible, along with some other prominent liberal Democrats, including Earl Warren, who became the chief justice for imprisoning? Right. U.S. citizens of Japanese descent. They, they, and he did not have a progressive view of Jewish people either. And they turned him but, away. But we don't, we don't but cancel. We don't take down his statue. Okay. And so we're, we're going to take your right. phone calls here. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Welcome to Heart Health with board certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio. Of course, on the radio, you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Although, you might be disappointed in some of the places where you get your podcasts because we're not there yet. Uh, Rose Hoban joins us from North Carolina Health News. Rose, how are you? All right. Jeez, you guys are on all of the big podcasts. You know something? At some point, Rose, you will not be able to go anywhere without us. I guess not. But, you know, Rose is a a pretty famous person on her own. Not that we're famous, Rose. But, I mean, your your website now is really taking off. And I think you've got um, a healthcare half hour podcast too, or a video cast. 
We do. It's a it's a it's a video cast, um, and uh, we do it once a month on the third Thursday of the month. So, um, and the idea is that it's like short and you know to the point. We talk about different uh, healthcare issues, uh, and we kind of tie it in with stories that we're running. And I'm going to give you guys a preview of this week's healthcare half hour. Yeah, what is that? Um, what is it? So uh, it's really fascinating. We are going to be talking to a mom who, I mean, this is so crazy. She, um, during the pandemic, she lost her job. And so she uh, was able to, her, she and her son were able to qualify for Medicaid. And it turns out her son, who's I think 11 years old, mm -hmm. has had a bunch of mental health problems throughout his life. And it, and she had had private insurance, which supposedly is, you know, the thing you want. But it turns out he got better care when he was on Medicaid. Um, oh. And so we're going to be talking to this mom. And uh, uh, one of our reporters, Clarissa Donnelly DeRoven, is, uh, will be publishing her story on, uh, I think, Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, looking at this problem, uh, because one of the things that happens is that even though by law insurers are supposed to treat mental health problems equitably as, as the same way they do physical health problems. And there's law, there's federal law, there's state law, but a lot of the insurers, they just can't, they're like, meh, whatever. And, uh, and you don't find that they're, um, uh, that they're acting, acting equitably for right. different types of uh, mental health problems. Oh, that is for sure. I mean, I can't, I would never get a Medicare patient to get psychotherapy paid for by Medicare. Doesn't happen. No. Well, no. but this is what this is what we're saying is that actually, on Medicaid, the kid got better care than he did on private insurance. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's interesting. All well, right, so I want to talk about this article you wrote that is fascinating to me, Rose. It's about <clears throat> here's a headline: Should advanced pra practice nurses in North Carolina have more independence for physicians? Talk to us about what you learned in writing this story, and you know, give your opinion. Um, well, about I mean, what you think. You know, I mean, are, you're a nurse I, or a nurse practitioner yourself? I'm a nurse. Okay. I mean, you know, it's sort of like, so I've been writing about this topic for 15 years. <laughs> so it's sort of like, it's a little hard for me to find anything new to say, because especially for primary care, right? The runny noses, the, all that stuff. Um, you know, it's, the data are out there that show that Patients like nurse practitioners, uh, that they do pretty good care for primary care, uh, especially in the primary care space. But, you know, we have these parts of the state where there, are, there aren't enough physicians. And so the nurses are saying, hey, you know, like, we could, we could fill in this gap. But there is this thing in North Carolina, it's called supervision, but it doesn't mean that someone's standing over the shoulder of the nurse sort of watching what's happening. Um, it's a contract that they sign yeah. that the nurse practitioners sign with physicians. And, um, and then like once every, I think the requirement is that once every six months, the physician reviews some charts. Wow. And, and so uh, just this week, you know, now, and you know, there's, there's different kinds of advanced practice nurses, right? There's clinical, uh, uh, certified nurse midwives. There's 
nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. and there's certified registered nurse anesthetists. So they've lumped them all into this one bill, um, which some people think might be a mistake. Should they sort of look for, um, should they look for, uh, you know, to, to have their practice be released from some of this oversight, like individually, like, or should they lump them all together? Right now, the nurses are looking to lump things all together. But just last weekend, New York State um, uh, granted full, full, what's called full practice authority to nurse practitioners, just nurse practitioners. Um, and and there's that made New York the 25th state to do that. And there's a lot of states that have done this. Now half the states have done this, and no one's gone back. The patient safety profile has, there hasn't been significant problems. And one of the things I learned, I spoke to a healthcare person. I wanted to go out of state to get somebody who didn't have a dog in the fight. Mm-hmm. So I talked to this woman who studies healthcare workforce. She's a health economist She's out in San Francisco. And she was telling me that in Colorado, they used to have an oversight period for the nurses, for the nurse practitioners. That was like three years. Yeah. And they just reduced it to six months Wow! because the outcomes were so good. So, you know, like that, that's kind of where we are, um, as one of my lobbyist friends calls it, the House of Medicine uh, has resisted this pretty staunchly in, in North Carolina. Yeah. And so there was, there was a legislative hearing where it was really kind of like the doctors came and they had their data and the nurses came and they had their data and they're all sort of citing, you know, studies and stuff. And it's, I think it would be hard for a lawmaker to try and wade, wade through all of this. But I, I will say that as time has gone by, the nurses have gotten more lawmakers on board with, um, uh, you know, with supporting their quest for more practice authority. Yeah, I, I don't know, what do you, you think, know, Dr. Weefelt? I, I had uh, probably were the best uh, person people I've ever persons I've ever worked with, uh, a nurse practitioner, Tara Bush. And the patients uh-huh. loved her, and she was extremely smart. So, you know, it's not just in primary care. I think what mm-hmm. we're seeing now is a lot of nurse practitioners who are becoming specialists. So, for example, mm-hmm. they work with orthopedists or they work with oncologists, and they focus on that issue. Um, one of the things that I see, and, and you can we can talk about this forever, is I think that sometimes primary care uh, physician extenders or nurse practitioners – may try to bite off more than they can chew. Um, and that's one of the issues that I have, um, mm-hmm. is that I've seen some of my very complex cardiovascular patients, heart failure, uh, angina, have defibrillators, and they go see the primary provider and they come back with medicine changes. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes I wonder whether it's, and you can, you know, again, I'm not, I'm all for nurse practitioner. I just told you I love Tara Bush, she worked with me. But sometimes I think there is a, a push that they have to do something, you know. Um, and I, I mean, doesn't every practitioner Oh, yeah, that? no, I'm not, right? I, I'm, I'm not saying that it's just related to nurse practitioners. But, yeah. you know, I think that that's just something to think about in, in terms of, you know, how much supervision 
we really give. And I'm on the fence on this. I think there are a lot of qualified nurse practitioners who could operate more, uh, practice more independently. But I think, I don't think that the the jury is in yet on that. But I, yeah. loved, I loved your story because I think it brings up a very important question because we have a provider shortage. And how yeah. are we going to meet that? And I don't know if you've been listening, but we have you heard of the assistant physician program for people with MDs who haven't been able to get residencies? Um, that might be something no. you want to look into. Oh, yeah, Dr. Chris Giggy is here, and he graduated uh, from a medical school in Dominica and, and did not match for a residency. And now he's going to start working in my office as my assistant, not as an independent practitioner. He will not be able to do what a nurse practitioner does because there's no program. There's no official structure to do so mm-hmm. except in a few states. So that might be something you want to look into is the not physician's assistant, but the assistant physician, somebody with an MD who has not been able to match with a residency now employed in care. Yeah. All right, well, Rose. You, you know, you know, Dr. Weefel, just quick, you know where the physician assistant role came from. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, I think they, they created it at Duke. Right. It was because all these medics came back from Vietnam yeah. with all of this experience. Yeah. And, you know, they were in their 20s and didn't want to go to medical school. And how could they find a space for yeah. them? Yeah. And this was what they the role that they created. I'd forgotten about that that history, but it's fascinating. But uh, mm-hmm. thank you so much for North Carolina Health News dot O-R-G. Yes. Org. I think so I much. recommend Thanks. everybody looking at that. There's so much good information there. Thank you, Rose. Well, it's always great to talk to you guys. You guys take, take care. care. Bye bye. All, right, All right. So in studio, we're we double the number of doctors usually, and we're taking phone calls. 919-860-9783. Dr. Chris Gigi and Dr. Franklin Weefold. Or Weefold down. We Weefold. The Weefy. That's how your office describes it, by the way. I called up the first week, and I said, how does he say his name? And I said, well, pretend that you didn't know how to do a past tense verb, and you said, we fall down. But, you know, in Norway, it's yeah. ve- the W is V, yeah. so it's Vefold. 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 All right. I mean, there you can is, call me that if you want to. Okay. All right. Okay. There is a story here about transgender psychologists. Now, yeah. When I say transgender psychologist, this is an individual who was born a male and who is now identifying as a female. Right. And not just identifying. I, I You know, they become right. females in their uh, way of life, how they identify themselves. Uh, many uh, psychiatrists and many physicians feel that it is a physical thing, not a psychological thing. So in other words... Right. In their minds, they've been females in the way they orient. So he has, excuse me, I'm just a huge mistake. I apologize. She has been working uh, with with people in transition, either from female to male or male to female. And she is now getting out of that game um, because she feels it's gone too far. And how too far? Uh, encouraging people in kindergarten and first and second grade yeah. to think about gender dysphoria, they call it. Right. And I think the thing that she's most upset about 
is performing uh, gender transition surgery in 12-year-olds, 8-year-olds. Yeah. I mean, we don't let 18-year-olds, I mean, people drive a car and make decisions right. about that. And, and there are many of the pro-transgender transformation at an early age people who even want to keep the secret from the parents. Sure. When these are 12 and 13-year-old children. You mean adults have decided, hey, listen, I'm going to get you some alternate clothing to wear at work or to wear at school. Don't tell your mom. And you know how that doesn't impressionable sound good. children are. And so I think that it's my opinion, and I think... It's the opinion of Erica Anderson, who is the, the transgender psychologist, that these issues should be left out of the schools um, and addressed only if it's brought up by the individual student. Now they're they're having you know uh, meetings and uh, assemblies where they say, uh, and I saw one yeah. where the advocate for transgenderism said that doctors, when you're born, have to guess your gender, okay? And so you're not really a boy and you're not really a girl until you decide what you want to be. Mindful of the fact that we're on the radio um, and anybody could be listening, doctors, do you have to guess? I mean, when a baby is born, are are you flummoxed for a moment or two and then say, well, could be boy, could be yeah. girl. Yeah, uh, not really. Uh, there are <clears throat> obviously uh, conditions. Yeah, where the gender is mysterious. Very uh, rare because of yeah, but they're very rare. And and the whole concept that every single person is potentially a transitional student mm-hmm. and therefore it must be addressed is malarkey. Okay. Okay. Absolute malarkey. You want, All right. Do you know? Do you know about um, androgen insensitivity syndrome? No, I do not. We have time. I didn't go to that school, but yeah. sure, yeah. Okay, so you know, if you talk about uh, gender, um, you know, issues of uncertainty, mm-hmm. uh, there's a very famous actress who is uh, XY, mm-hmm. and what does that mean? XX is uh, the female. And so the two X sex chromosomes combine and uh, develop the uh, female sexual characteristics through estrogen. So we're all the same in utero. And then the presence of testosterone from the XY chromosome situation turns the the sexual organs into male organs. And in the absence of that testosterone, you don't develop the external male organs and it okay. looks like you're a female so they are missing a uh, receptor for testosterone in their organs so there's testosterone but it doesn't work hmm. and so this um actress and the people who have this look like females mm-hmm. very much so and she couldn't get pregnant and went to the doctor to find out why and lo and behold, she's XY. That is a female. I mean, and again, people say, well, if you have two X chromosomes, you're a female. Two at XY, you're a male. I think that's probably the exception to the rule because she grew up, you know, as a female and as a, uh, a psychological um, situation where she was 
in that category. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, there are certain situations where it is not obvious that all people are genetically either male or female, but it's pretty rare. There is another uh, condition uh, that in uh, Cuba, they called it huevos doches, okay? Eggs at 12. That's actually Eggs at 12. And they're missing an enzyme um, that converts the, the testosterone into the active form that that develops external male sexual organs. Sure. And it turns on at age 12. Ah. And these are girls who had, you know, vaginas and and breast buds right. who at age 12 grow male organs. And so that is another situation of, you know, uncertainty. But the thing is, it's extremely rare. Right. And so to take those two uh, scientific conditions and say, you don't know who's male and who's female, is not the case. Okay. And so the exceptions in this situation don't make the rule. It's funny, when you asked, have you ever heard of this? My response almost was, you could explain it, but I still won't understand it. Do you understand it now? Not really. Oh, but that's all right. On. That's all right. I've been taking notes. I'm going to think about it later. This is Heart Health Radio. The telephone number is 919-860-9783. You did explain it beautifully. I just, I'm just stunned. 919-860-9783. Dr. Weefald, in lieu of a check to the Alumni Association, is going to shout out the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Absolutely. Because he saves him some money. He just mentions them on the radio. Yeah. That's coming up next on Heart Health Radio. You know you make me wanna Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. And you are shouting out Johns Hopkins Hospital. Yeah, so the rank medical center. Come out. Yeah. yeah. And they rank uh, the programs. And yeah. this is not medical schools, this is residencies. Hopkins, <clears throat> the medical school is always one or two. Okay. And Harvard and Hopkins uh, compete for that number one spot. <clears throat> but the internal medicine program at Johns Hopkins was rated number one. It climbed above the one at Harvard, which is the Mass General and the Brigham combined. Now, yeah. what is internal medicine? And this is the thing that I try to tell people is that if you go to a pulmonologist, if that's lung doctor, if you go to a neurologist, which is the nerve brain thing, yeah, they we don't just go from medical school to the cardiology programs is I don't go to heart school right away. And all of us do what's called internal medicine, which is everything, the brain, the lungs, the heart. And that is a specialty in and of itself. And it can be a primary care specialty, Mm -hmm. but we become subspecialists when we become cardiologists or pulmonologists. And the, the ranking I think is so important because when I look back on how I am as a physician, that's where I learned it. And, and sort of the cardiology knowledge was just expanded from what I learned in internal medicine. So I did three months of cardiology when I was an internal medicine resident. Yeah, And that's, that's on the consultative service. And not just on the wards, taking all the patients, be that as it may, come yeah. in. Yeah. Now, um, Hopkins was number two in cardiology. Um, yeah. Harvard 
took back number one. And my place was Duke, and I did cardiology, and we're number eight, which yeah. is fantastic. Well, that's good. And don't you know? And when you talk about these programs, it's not like Hopkins is eight times better than Duke because of the ranking in cardiology. If you're in the top ten, if you're in the top twenty, that means you're an excellent program. And so, I just want to um, pat my uh, mentors on the back. And uh, they got a good hockey team. Uh, what kind? And Hopkins? Do they have a good no, hockey team? No, that's called lacrosse. They don't have a. See, lacrosse. My college, State University of New York at oh, Oswego, yeah. has an excellent did hockey they go to program. The fro- did they go to the Frozen Four? They, did they go to the Frozen Four? No, they didn't go to the Frozen but still, Four. That's the whole point. They, they were good though. Carlisle in Durham. Welcome to Heart Health Radio. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How good. You What's going on? So on a different topic, I want to uh, reinforce what Dr. Leopold, and I'll, I'll call it a public service announcement, but yes. on the radio, he's talking about the necessity of getting a lung scan, yeah. a CT scan, if you've been a smoker for a long time, and I smoked for 50 years, and my internist kept trying to get me to go, and I thought it kicking and screaming, I finally went last June, and they there was a small spot about the size of I forget the, the centimeters or millimeters or whatever it was. And he recommended coming back in three months for a follow-up scan, which I did. And the second radiologist recommended referral to oncology. So my internist immediately set me up an appointment with, and I'm going to say his name because he, I was so impressed with what he did, uh, Dr. Tomiko at Duke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, great. And I'm sure you know him. But at any rate, uh, he looked at it said not a cancer come back in three more months came went back in september and he said yes cancer we need to get it out so i had the surgery on the 21st of of uh, march and the margins were negative and all the lymph nodes were negative however the spot was cancerous and i was only in the hospital for went in on a monday or was home by wednesday and the reason for the call is to reinforce what you said. If you have smoked for a long time, this probably, my intern has probably saved my life because yep. I had no real symptoms. Yep. And I, I feel like it's important for me to tell my story for those people who are hesitant to think about getting the scan, the CT scan. Uh, the, results, the, the results were good enough when I talked the follow-up conversation I had with, with Miko said that you know, he said that, that they what they're going to do now is every six months, they're going to take another look, another scan. And he said the percentages bear out less than 20% chance of recurrence somewhere else. All right. Carlisle, hold on just a moment. I'm going to, because uh, unfortunately our news person's got to do their spiel. Hold on just a moment. You're listening to Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by listening to Heart Health Radio. Dr. Chris Giggy is here along with Dr. Franklin Weefald. 
I've got Carlisle held on from from uh, hour one of the program. Carlisle, I interrupted you rudely in the middle of a sentence. But Dr. Weefold wants to talk about your what you've heard from is, your doctor. Yeah, this is a, a wonderful thing that Carlisle's talking to us about because I think we're going to really see the transition from lung cancer and other type of cancers from waiting till it happens right. uh, to finding techniques to catch it early. So this is the classic reason why we've developed the CT scan, which is a, for, for lung cancer screening, it's a very low um, radioactivity scan. Right. And it picks up these tiny little nodules that are cancers that are curable. They haven't spread. So they're stage one. Right. And I think it's going to save... Tens of thousands, if not millions of lives. Carlisle, you were given an idea on what your next steps are. Are you going back every six months, every three months? What is it? Right. So it's, it's every six months for two years and then the yearly after that. Yeah. Uh, and it's what they what they did, Dr. Lepo, was a wedge resection, which I'm sure you're yeah. aware of. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, he... He kind of told me there was a possibility, not a probability, they might have to do a lobectomy. It was the upper right lobe, and that was not the case. He was able, when he got in there, to see what he needed to take out. And of course, the, the hardest part of the whole thing awaits the path before it can come back, because he, I think he sampled 10 of the long lymph nodes or something, but all of those were negative, and the margins were negative. So, so awesome. So that is just it turned great. out, as he explained it to me, it's as good as it could get, except the only way it could have been better would have been if he'd taken it out and it had not been cancerous. Yeah. But it was, and so this was as good as it can get uh, with given it being cancer and him getting it out. And I, yeah. You know, I was concerned about the procedure and all of that, but it, it was, a, I think, two and a half hours, uh, and I was in my room by lunchtime and eating a cheeseburger right after that and wow. uh, how was the cheeseburger was it a duke <laughs> cheeseburger or did you get did you get no, one I from... had my wife go to the cafeteria yes good for her which 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 one what kind of cheeseburger was it I, i'm a nut about cheeseburger i, I don't know oh it was I just a generic cheeseburger, cheeseburger. I, didn't want, I didn't want whatever they brought me they used to rank hospital food did you know that yeah yeah they don't do it anymore all right did they ever mention on your report calcium in your coronary arteries did they only report on the lungs or did they also say whether you had calcified coronary arteries no they they did the whole thing and there was one artery that does have some calcification in it but they didn't seem all that concerned. great good for and you i went through a whole process several years ago which is one reason i didn't want to get another x-ray or ct scan they thought i had a, a major uh, i don't know a major blockage in one of my arteries and it turned out I have a torturous descending artery which then they all said was fine. You know, I went to a radiologist, went to a cardiologist, uh, Magnus Oman and you know Oh I know uh, Magnus Magnus and I were fellows together. Yeah. He is he is an amazingly great guy. Yes, he still uh, have that Irish accent or yeah. Of course of, of course he does. Yeah. He does. I, we live in a neighborhood and I'm a general contractor and I would say ninety percent of my work has been to all these positions that I know, and yeah. you know, uh, one of them, a pulmonologist, and this 
so you know, and I was fluent him in. He heard about it, so he wanted to know about the report. So I, I shared the my chart information with him and all of that. So I asked the question. I said, "So I feel fine. What if I just don't do anything?" And he said, "Well, you'll probably feel fine for another year or so, but then by the time you start having active symptoms, it'll be too late for them to do anything." Right. Except some chemo and radiation. So I, I'm just reinforcing your if it's a public announcement. Yeah. yeah. That you made, it's made about the necessity to just get the CT scan. I'm, I'll be 75 in May. So, you, you know, it's I'm interesting. A month out from the surgery, and I feel fine. Now. I swim every day. Good well, for I'm you. I'm glad they they got you because I tried to get one for a 76 year old. This person is healthy as a horse. Is just a long term smoker. Yeah. They wouldn't. You know, Medicare wouldn't pay after the age of 75, which is crazy. Because 75 to 85-year-olds now, I mean, 85 is the new 65. Yeah. You know? And well, I tell you. Carlisle, good. We didn't hear that one. I said Medicare paid for it all. Medicare oh, yeah. paid for yeah, it all. Yeah, yeah. That's and, good. Um, I haven't I, I, gotten that, that $100,000 bill yet. Whatever yeah, that's right. Needs. Well, you're going to be okay. Listen, I, I think what's so great is I can, I can talk in terms of abstract. You know, that this is what you should do, mm-hmm. it's available. But when someone like Carlisle calls up, it is indelibly etched in the minds and, and hearts of our listeners right. based on your experience. So God bless you, and thank you for calling. Thank you, Carlisle. Yep, y'all take care. I enjoy your program. Happy right, Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. I'll tell you what, we, uh, we've got in studio Dr. Chris Giggy. The, the assistant physician in your office, yes. and Dr. Franklin Weefald, of course, here. And we were talking, we're, this is going to be the last, like, little bit about right. the transgender issue because there's so okay. many other things to talk about. Well, no, I think it's important because politically it's it's right out there. Right. And now we have the psychologist, a transgender psychologist, saying it's going too far. Right. And Chris has a lot of information about the medical and physical aspects of treatment. And yeah, I like Chris, to hear what he has to say. There are some doctors who are not only giving puberty blockers, which right. I understand is hormones, right. to you know prevent puberty, right. but That's, also doing surgery on very young yeah. S- children. Yeah, uh, as young as eight is is what I have heard. Heavens and. Uh, some surgeons are coming out and saying that, well, that's, that's way too early because they don't even, haven't even formed enough tissue yet in order to do a successful surgery. Right. But they still are, are pushing that or, you know, pushing little kids in that, that as, direction. Is, uh, as I've heard, you know, people say, well, you know, the little girl who's eight years old, you know, she's still a boy. Honestly, she's still, she's not a you know they can't take off her breasts. Right. She doesn't have any. Yeah. But still, using these uh, androgen blockers or, or these these hormones is it is really bad for their development because we right. we are designed to have those hormones as we grow and develop, and it's necessary for normal uh, cognitive development, not just right. your physical development, like your you know your your bones and muscles and such, but even your even your mind depends on wow. those. All right, our telephone number is 919-860-9783. We've pulled the pin on the, you know, yeah, on the on the explosive 
uh, subject of our day, really. Mm-hmm. There's, I've never seen so many articles about that sort of thing than I have in the last 12 months. Uh, our number is 919-860-9783. We've got so many other things planned, but we'd also like to hear about your issues in anything that have to do with your health. Of course, Dr. Weefald's a cardiologist, but you see everybody for everything because that's the nature of your office. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, people ask, why are you, why are you not treating my diabetes? Okay. Yeah. Why? And, and the reason is that there are so many people that would come to my office. You know, when I was a um, hospital, mainly a hospital physician, I was doing these heart catheterizations and pacemakers, and I was really good at it. And, you know, it was the whole idea of transforming the body and being a surgeon-type person. And I had to rush through the office and, you know, just sort of check, check, check on your heart. Yep. And I had so many repeat customers, you know, I would even call them frequent flyers. I mean, and I hate to use that term because it sounds pejorative. Is it people who need repeated surgeries? Repeated and repeated and repeated surgeries. And, you know, their hemoglobin A1C, which is a long-term measure, a blood test for your control of your diabetes, was right. always really high. And right. Cholesterols. I didn't used to treat cholesterol because primary care people, extenders and physicians would get upset saying yeah. that's my job. Right. So when I semi-retired from the hospital, I said, forget it. I'm, I'm going to do this. And so here's an example of treating diabetes yeah. and saving a heart at the same time. Right. Farsigia and Jardiance are right. two types of medications. They're glucose transport inhibitors. In other words, in the kidney, it actually makes you pee out the sugar. Okay. Okay. And lo and behold... They don't just help the diabetes. If you are a non-diabetic and you have congestive heart failure, that's where your heart doesn't pump strong enough Mm -hmm. or doesn't relax well enough, and the fluid builds up in your lungs and you get the swelling in your feet, you get five-year mortality used to be 50%. If you developed heart failure before we developed all these medicines to treat it, you had a 50% chance of being dead in five years. Now, we've really improved that. Yeah. Well, now, Jardians, especially because it was just studied, not only long-term will keep you out of heart failure and improve your heart failure condition, but the great thing about it is how quickly it works. Right. So they had a group of patients just recently in the hospital that they started on Jardians, okay? And lo and behold, they got better, quicker, had a better quality of life. Right. And the thing is, is that this is a medicine for diabetes repurposed. And why was it repurposed? Because the cardiologist said, these diabetic patients are doing better. They have heart failure and diabetes. And when right. they're on these medications, they're doing better. I'm not so sure if it's the diuretic effect of getting rid of excess sugar, causing your weight to go down. Yeah. We don't quite know why it works, but it's amazing. And then when you look at some other therapies, so, for example, the medicine that you still take, Ozempic? I take Ozempic. Yeah, and so that is called a GLP-1. That is yeah. a diabetic medicine that you inject it in yourself. Now there's there's actually an oral form, too, called ribelsis. Yeah. So you have Ozempic, Trulicity, ribelsis. These medicines um, make your insulin work better. Yeah. And the combination now of the Jardiance or Farsigia, mm-hmm. 
and the injectable form of the SGLP, uh, GLP-1. All these numbers and letters. And yeah, stuff. I get that. It's complicated. Get, it's it's no, medicine No, I'm just thing. getting old. Okay. But anyway, um, they <laughs> not only control your diabetes, yeah. but they're now reducing the incidence of heart attack. Sure. So um, this is, you know, I, I think something that goes to whether or not cardiologists should intervene right. when it comes to, quote, unquote, other illnesses. And the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology, I mean, their underwear is in a bunch over this because of uh-huh. the same issue. Um, should cardiologists, when these things aren't being done, right. take the bull by the horns and just do it? Or should they call up the um, primary care physician and or nurse practitioner or physician assistant and say, hey, what about this? And I personally don't treat the referring physician. I don't treat the primary care physician. <laughs> I treat the patient. Wait, wait, wait. You, um, mean, you mean you're not in charge of that doctor? No, no. I'm not. I'm not looking out for his or her ego. Okay. And this is, believe it or not, doctors have huge egos. I mean, I get, I used, when I ref, relied on referring physicians no. to send me patients. Now, I mean, I'm so well established that yeah. I have a huge practice and yeah. I get word of mouth. Patients just call the office sure. and say, I want to see Dr. Weefall. Yeah. And so I, I hate to say it, I don't really care if I hurt someone's feelings because that physician shouldn't have hurt feelings. Yeah. They, it's just like the situation we talked about before. Yeah. About sticking the patient twice and being happy about it because you disagreed with what, you know, this guy thinks socially. Yes. The, it, when I have a, a patient go to, say, a pulmonologist and I've been treating their pulmonary situation. Yeah. And they come back better. Yeah. I'm happy. Sure. I'm happy. You should be. May I ask a question? Uh, would you consider yourself a, a holistic Type of okay, let's let's talk about that term. Yeah. What, Chris? What do you think of when you think of when somebody is called a holistic doctor? Well, I know what people usually think of when they hear that. They're thinking of something more natural, you know, yeah. like your granola eating hippie type. Right. And so, yeah, I, I guess in a sense, I'm, I'm prescribing. <laughs> well, not prescribing spices now. Oh, you are, huh? Turmeric, yeah, turmeric. Yeah. It's been studied scientifically. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, you know, so what I call myself a holistic physician, um, I would call myself a physician. Mm -hmm. So think about it. Um, A a physician is someone who takes care of the patient as a entire, entire, it's as an entity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... I put I put a spoon on somebody's wrist the other day, sent him down for a chest X-ray, and the physician, the radiologist, missed the fracture. Really? Oh yeah. See, at Johns Hopkins, we had to go downstairs and have what we call X-ray rounds. Yeah. We had to look at those X-rays ourselves, and so I see this epiphysis. It's this thing at the end of the, you know, where the end of the bone is. And there's a little line, and the epiphysis yeah. was was. Fracture. It was yeah. my, my whole line. I called up the radiologist and said, hey, dude, can you look at this again? I may be wrong. You always got to watch out for the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And turns out it was a fracture and got that thing splinted and everything. 
Let me tell you another story. Um, my ex-wife, Vicki Foote, Vicki oh Refong, oh severe abdominal pain. Now, this is a subject no, where he's got to really be careful. We are good friends. Now. Okay, I'm just okay. saying. Except when, never mind, I won't say it. Uh, we are good friends. She had severe abdominal pain, just yes. severe. I had to carry her into the car and take her. We t- we went to um, Wait Men. Yeah. Uh, actually, I shouldn't have said that because I'm going to say something. Anyway, we went to an emergency room and... They took the x-ray and they yeah. said, everything's okay. Um, yeah. We'll watch you for a little bit longer. And, you know, you're not supposed to get involved in your family members' care. Sure. But I said, can I see the x-ray? Mm. And I've, I'm looking and there's something called free air. So there's not supposed to be air under the diaphragm of the lungs. That's sure. Where the, and, yeah. and that's when, you know, you get gas leakage from a hole in the bowel. And so I'm looking at this x-ray and I say, isn't there a little free air? And you know, I had a little bit of pushback. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the bottom line, he said, the, the person said, let's get a CT. And sure enough, she had perforated her bowel. So there is something to be said about being a complete physician. Right. Why don't okay. we use that term? Um, complete physician. Um, no, because I'm not, not complete. You know, I couldn't do brain surgery. I couldn't do open heart surgery. Right. Let's let's think about this because okay. I I – would you know call myself an internal medicine specialist with a uh, subspecialty in cardiology? Okay, how's that sound? All right, that but sounds it, good. It, and, and I am holistic in a sense because I'm getting more and more in tune mm-hmm. with things that are natural that work. You're looking all right. at all the systems though as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna talk with Marie and Sanford in just a moment. This is Heart Health Radio on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Dr. Chris Gigi and Dr. Franklin Weefald uh, here on the show. Dave in Cary. How you doing, Dave? Hello, Dave. Oh, sorry. Got to push the button properly. How you doing? Dave's not here. No, that's right. That's right. So we were going to talk about medical bariatric therapy. Yeah. You kind of joked. I don't know whether you want to joke out about yeah, it on the air. Yeah. I could make a billion bucks. I could get rich on this. <laughs> I could do so Joking. much business. No, I tell you, there there should be so much business. Right. It. And I think that um, one of the pushbacks I was getting from primary care physicians is that they go back. The patients would go back and they say, I'm on X, Y, and Z to lose weight. Right. And they'd say, what's the cardiologist doing putting you on diet pills? They're going to kill you. Yeah. And so there's a, a natural um, a tendency among the, the cognoscenti in medicine that this whole concept of using medicine to lose weight is quackery. Uh-huh. So we had a bunch of, you know, was it Dr. Oz, Car- Garcinia Cambogia, you know, take that uh, pill and eat whatever you want, you'll lose weight. And the thing that is coming around now, and mm. I think the American College, Cardi- College of Cardiology has endorsed it, and the American Heart Association has endorsed it, is that using medicines to lose weight is a good thing, mm-hmm. and it improves 
um, overall health, improves your sense of well-being, and improves your survival rates. Right. Now, what do we use? Um, we use medicines that are, you know, if you want to use the technical term, um, there are medicines that are called anorectics. What does that mean? That means that you're not hungry. Yeah. Okay. And the one that we use a lot of is fentramine. And that is a mild stimulant, sort of like a, like a mini Adderall. Yeah. Um, and some physicians do use Adderall, uh, methamphetamine. Uh, and what that does is makes you less hungry. It makes you anorectic in a sense. And then the one we use in addition to that is uh, a repurposed medication. Uh, it's an anti-seizure medication called topiramate. Yeah. And the, these medicines have to be um, prescribed under the supervision supervision of physician or um, a provider because there can be side effects. You can get tachycardia, palpitations. Your heart, if it is susceptible, can be stimulated too much. Um, Topiramate can cause uh, dizziness in some people. So, yeah, they work. Um, And the third medicine we use is something we talked about earlier, and that is a GLP-1 lycozempic. Right. So there is now a medicine called Wegovi, and it is very expensive. And it's a weight loss medicine that is injected once a week. And guess what? Mm. It's Ozempic. Yeah. So it's not only repurposed, it's branded in a different way. And this medicine, um, I like to sort of, and and endocrinologists get mad at me, but it kind of makes your insulin work better and fixes the metabolic problem Mm -hmm. um, that's involved with obesity. So uh, I I can get, and the least I get, in a, a month is five pounds off in this combination. Yeah. And so when you think about it, you know, six months, that's 30 pounds. The that's most, good. 120 pounds in one year. All right. We'll yeah. talk more about this. I, I just looked up Dr. Oz and his detox cleanse. I want to talk about detox. Oh, the cleanse. Yeah. Coming up next, this is Heart Health Radio. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. Telephone number here is 919-860-9783. Got Dr. Franklin Weefald and Dr. Chris Gigi here in studio. William in Raleigh. Welcome. How are you? Hey, hey. I'm hanging in there. Good. What's up? Uh, Well, uh, recently I had my annual Medicare checkup and... uh, my health care provider noticed my belly button protruding and huh. informs me I have an abdominal hernia, specifically an umbilical hernia, where the intestine protrudes through the abdominal wall there near the navel. You and me, buddy, I had one. Really? And yeah. uh, I see a specialist next week for a consultation, but I was wondering what to expect. Is it outpatient? Yeah. Is it a small laparoscopic incision? What's, yeah. what's the deal? Can I ask who your doctor's going to be? Uh, Dr. Kim, uh, Edward Kim at Rex. Good, good, good. Good doctor. You're going to have a great experience. Now, I can only tell you what happened with me. I had three hernias, count them, one, two, three at one time. Hmm. I don't know what happened to me. Maybe I blame my mom, genetics or something. But I had a hernia in my right groin, a small one in my left groin, and I had a, eh, not such a big one, in the belly button area. Now, why is that? A hernia is where part of the gut, protrudes through the muscular wall, or in the case of the one in the uh, groin, it's uh, the inguinal canal, um, which got your uh, other stuff in it, like from the the testicle comes up to the inguinal canal, and there's supposed to be a barrier so it can't get through. So what they did for me was they put me to sleep, and then they went in through the part of the belly button that wasn't affected, and they put a mesh in 
Now, don't believe what you hear about mesh being bad. This mesh, what it does is it, it goes where the bowel wall is weak and doesn't allow the intestine to punch through. Yeah. So they put the mesh in my belly button area, and, and now the, the, the bowel, the small intestine, can't poke through, and it's the same thing down in my groins. I woke up. I had a couple of pinprick incisions on the side, the flank, and then I had a suture inside the belly button area, and that was it. And I had a little bit of discomfort, um, but I had mine on a Friday. I was back at work on Monday. Yeah, so it's a good experience. Um, And I think, you know, if you only have one hernia, it's not a very long operation, and I think you'll probably even have less pain than I did. So, but you're completely under. Is it general anesthetic? Anesthetic. Were you completely yes, under? Yes, I had a general, um, and it was great. They, they, I have a, a let's see, disinhibitory um, uh, problem. Is that when I get disinhibited, that's how I don't drink anymore. You don't like I get to, silly. I get silly. You don't like to get partially knocked uh, out. You knock like to get out. totally. Yeah, so they gave you a little something to relax you on the way back to the OR. <laughs> and I told the nurses and the docs, I say, please, if I say something outrageous or stupid, just remember, it's it's the disinhibitory effect. And so when I got done, uh, and they woke me up on the way out of the operating room, I said, so what did I say? Yeah. And they all started laughing, and they said, it's so crazy, you won't believe it. <laughs> he went, William, what he said was, you know, that Hillary Clinton, she really looked sharp if she just took care of herself. <laughs> it was something like that. I don't know what it was. I don't know. All right. William, thank you. Okay. You're going you're gonna to have a good experience. Dr. Kim's a great doctor, All great right. surgeon. Take thank, care, William. Thank you. All right. John in Raleigh, welcome to the program. How you doing? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Good. What's up? And enjoying the program. Oh, on that surgery, the other caller just called about, uh, I had that done, and it had a terrible time. I, I called the doctor five times the following week thinking I was dying because I swelled up and looked, turned to multi colored in my gut. And it, Oh, my uh, gosh. It was, it was a terrible experience. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry fixed, to hear that. But he fixed the problem. Okay. So, Dr. So Doctor Weefald is awesome. He uh, is. He saved my life. I'm going to tell you, this is uh, something maybe people don't do. I went to a cardiologist, local cardiologist, uh, referred by my doctor. Yeah. And after waiting, eight, he knows the story. After waiting eight weeks, I finally got uh, a stress test. And they came back and said, oh, it, you, you just have a mild problem. And uh, what's the name when you have a blockage? What's a, what do you call that? What is uh, the name for a blockage? Oh, cl- uh, cholesterol blockage. We and, call it a yeah. blockage. Yeah. Well, it was something else. But anyway, he said, you have a mild problem. So, I, you know, I, I really, and he referred me to another cardiologist who I didn't want to go to. So um, I went to Dr. Weefald. I was, mm-hmm. having, I was having some problems. And he tried to, he went by the, the referral from the other doctor, the, the report. And then um, and then he said, well, after two weeks, he said, uh, I think we need to do a stress test. Yeah. So he did. And, and this time he came in, he bolted in the room like Kramer. I'm not joking. Yeah. And he, he bolted in. And he said, you don't have a mild problem. You have a severe problem. You oh need my. a you need a, a catheterization right away. So anyway, I ended up at the ER, and uh, and I ended up having five stents put in. Yeah. And so, you know, it, if I had gone on that first doctor's recommendation, I'd probably be dead. 
Huh. So I really appreciate Dr. Weefold. Well, we we uh, we appreciate you too, and uh, you know, uh, there's so many frustrations in medicine now. Yeah. And when I have a patient like him, um, it is a wonderful experience, and yeah, it makes it worthwhile. And I'm so glad you're doing better. John, thank you for your story. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right, take care. Let, let me tell you some more about about him. Um, yeah, he, and, and I think this will be fine. Um, John, he, is it fine? He tells you more. Tells me more. I think he hung up. He might have gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. right here. No, he's uh, right let here. Me, no, uh, just just to say that um, the experience he had um, was to me in the beginning a little disturbing. Yeah, because uh, he got a stress test, right? Right. And nobody told him the results that day. Mm -hmm. And he got a call, not from the physician who read the stress test, but from the assistant. Yeah. Who had no way of answering questions. Yes. About what it showed or anything else like that. It was just, ah, it's a mild problem. Come see us in six months. No questions about the physical discomfort that he was still experiencing. Right. And so, you know, this is how I think medicine has devolved. I mean, you know, Chris, don't you think that's a real big problem is that now the docs are just handing off talking about results to the assistants who really can't answer questions. Haven't you seen that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I think that what Chris and I do in the office is that if you have a stress test, mm-hmm. I'm going to sit down and show you the results, you know, yeah. and compare them to the last one, and or if you've had a last one and talked about it. And I think that's what, you know, John uh, had um, the experience of getting the information directly, and also his symptoms weren't all that classic, you know, and so you sort of had to put the various and sundry um, uh, aspects of his whole story and the uh, results of the stress test together. Right. Now, he had blockages in all three arteries. He went up getting three stents. Right. Yeah. And he's done really well. That's he's good. He's just fantastic. That's good. So he had stents. After stenting, I had I had five. Uh, I, think, I think we're we're even there. I had, you called it antiplatelet therapy. Yes. I took a medicine to prevent clotting. Rightio. Right. I think it was warfarin. Might have been warfarin. No? Well, no. You're pl- looking at me, no. Clopidogrel or Plavix? Okay. Cl- 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 yeah, and, and that's an important difference because people okay. say, I'm on one blood thinner. Isn't that enough? Yeah, and no. We'll talk about the difference. Okay. Here. Well, tell me. Tell me. Yeah. Is it, is it now to the point where there's another... The, another therapy you mentioned to me that stents and antiplatelet therapy yeah. are a thing now. Well, yeah, and so what you use is a aspirin, which helps prevent the platelets from sticking together and, sure. and clotting off the stent. So these stents we use now, or we, gosh, we've been using for twenty years. They they have a, a coating that prevents scar tissue from blocking up the stent again. And that's what we used to do all the times. You put a bare metal stent in and six months later, you're fixing it again. Called, you know, repeat customers. And so the problem though, 
is that the coatings are sticky to the platelets and they could clot it off. Okay. So the first drug that came out um, that became uh, useful is something called Tyclid, but it caused rarely your blood counts to go to nothing. So then we have Plavix or Clopidogrel. Okay. And that was pretty good. The problem is some people did not metabolize it to the active drug. It's called a prodrug. So you'd give it, the liver would have to turn it into the active compound. And then we had something called um, uh, Effiant, which is a real good one. It was a drug. And now we have something we use called Brylinta. The only problem with Brylinta, it's twice a day. And it seems to be a little more effective in preventing clots. But right. the problem, when you have a stent and it's a drug-coated stent, you can't come off of that medicine for six months. Right. So what happens if you start bleeding? And so now the big thing, well, it's bad. I, and so you're now telling me. Yeah, now they've developed a medicine that you can give intravenously, which almost immediately reverses the effect of the Brylenta. See, yeah. if yeah. you get Brylenta and you want to have something done, like your teeth pulled, right. and it's out of the, you're, you're in that safety zone, you're out of the danger zone of six months, you can stop. It takes seven days to go away because mm. the platelets are poisoned and they can't stick together as well right. well now they have a medicine that you give and it, it takes away the effect of the antiplatelet agent so you can have your surgery without bleeding i mean suppose you get your stent and then all of a sudden you have a gallbladder attack yeah and you need to have your gallbladder out and it's three months after the stent well everybody's gonna freak out and we used to give platelet transfusions but that didn't work all the way right so now I think it's going to be better, and I think a lot of people, you know, are worried about having stents if they might need surgery in the future. But I think you know we've hit that new milestone where we're going to be able to take care of that and and not have you bleed excessively after yeah. you've had a stent put in. I had a bloody nose for more than a day, more than a day. And what kids, did they do? that's terrible. What did they do? What did they do? They they eventually took me off Plavix. Oh, they did take me off Plavix, and wow. and. And, it, you know, it's funny because the same week I bruised my foot. Oh, yeah. And it was just, oh, I looked terrible. It was like a crime scene in my shoe. Oh, my God. It looked like I had been abused. Well, you are. I, you are. You're abused every Saturday from every noon to two. Yeah. But, the, but then they took me off Plavix, yeah. and the thing cleared up in but a day. But how many weeks after the stent was that? Oh, it was more than a year. It wasn't, okay, wasn't yeah. just now, that. that's fine. Yeah. And, in fact, you know, what they're saying now is probably you should stop it. At some point in time, anyway. Well, it was the Plavix after my heart surgery, and I'd been on it for a year. Yeah. And then they said, "Well, don't worry about it. We'll do. We'll just." Was stop this in you. the winter? No, this was just two weeks ago. Okay, so three weeks ago. Nosebleeds, Chris. What? Don't you agree? Nosebleeds are almost always from dryness in the yeah. in the sinus cavities. And let me let me tell you what I do for a simple nosebleed. Oh my okay? gosh! Now you get yourself a saline solution bottle yes and you rinse that stuff out and uh -huh. it's going to look gross and clots are going to come oh, out oh sure yeah but then you take some afrin spray now listen don't do this unless your doctor says it's okay That's i'm right. just talking about what i do for my patients that i know about yeah the afrin spray is a vasoconstrictor right right, right. so it'll constrict the veins and the arteries so they don't bleed as much right and then you may get an antibiotic if there's an infection or something like that but you know, 
it's dryness of the nasal cap. Why do you mm-hmm. think we get all these nosebleeds well, in the this, winter? This is this was Use me using saline. keep your nose moist. Me using the CPAP without yeah. the with the without the humidifier. Right. Why did you do that? Because I always do that. I hate the. I uh, otherwise I wake up in the morning with my face like the windshield of a car well, covered with moisture. You know, but, yeah. get but, some but, wipers. But, Marie in Raleigh, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Hey. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fine, Dr. Weepall. Your show is just great. And I don't know uh, Dr. Chris, but I already like him. <laughs> well, you would really like him. You know, he's, know, you know how he's about seven out. feet tall. Kind of reminds <laughs> me of Lurch in the Adams family. <laughs> And when, because what happens is when I ask to go see a patient, he'll walk at me and go, you ran. <laughs> I try not to stand Now, he's around. actually quite a handsome guy. He just got his hair cut, uh, and he's got, um, what, have you ever heard of high and tight, Marine? Yes. Uh-huh. High and tight, the Marine Corps haircut. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Gosh. I Marie, I'm going. I'm gonna have to go back down there to you because I got to have him for my doc. He's Marie, wonderful. how are you doing? Well, I'm doing much better. I didn't realize uh, what I went through would drag me down like it did. Yes. Uh, when I was going to Dr. Weepall, I never had anything after this that I, I've gone through. But um, anyway, um, I want to ask Dr. Weepall now. Six weeks ago was when I had those stents in my two arteries. Uh, and I've got, I broke a tooth and I've got to go to a dentist. How uh-huh. long can I go off of the blood center? It's yeah. going to be a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be a while. Let me tell you what they can do. Are they going to have to pull a tooth? Uh, well, it, bra- it didn't break down to the roots, but it's they going to have to, yeah, probably will. There's yeah. a little tooth around. Well, me, it's been like yeah. about a year because you, uh, of this virus. I was scared to go, and I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> yes. Well, what you can do is talk to the dentist. Um, it'd be very unadvised by any doctor for you to come off of these antiplatelet agents. Um, what I would ask them, there's a, top, there's a bunch of topical things that you can use that when you pull the tooth, there's bleeding from the gums, and there is a foam gel they can put in that causes uh, uh, clotting right away. Uh, it doesn't always do the job, but there's also a gauze called Quick Clot, Q-U-I-K, yeah. clot, and it's impregnated with Georgia clay, believe it or not. Hmm. There's a, a thing that they get out of Georgia called calicrine, and they purify it. It's not like they got clay in your mouth, but then... You put that, it's it's embedded on a cloth gauze, and you put it in the socket, yeah. and you have to keep it in there for hours. But sometimes that'll work. Um, the dentists hate it because they always are worried that it's going to just bleed and bleed and bleed, and the patient will be dissatisfied. But uh, it's not recommended at this stage that you go ahead and come off these things. I would wait at least, I mean, what I recommend to my patients, and you should ask your own, the person who put the stents in, uh, but I would wait uh, uh, a while longer. Marie needs to talk to the cardiologist Absolutely. before yeah. the trip to right. the dentist. And probably the dentist is going to want what's called a clearance. Sure. Yeah, because everybody wants to blame somebody else if something goes wrong. I probably do three or four clearances well, a day. Yep. Dr. Weefall, yes, this ma'am. would have never happened to me if I stayed with you. Well, <laughs> let's not say that. I, you never I know. Not my tooth. Let's my not say that. Because you always... Uh, 
gave me stress tests, and did you know I had not had a stress test in two years? Well, this is a, a controversy because I will do one on a lot of people, even if they're not having symptoms. Uh, yeah. And you know why? Hmm. Because sometimes people can't get to the point in exercising where they have symptoms and they, mm-hmm. they're a ticking time bomb in a lot of ways. And how many people, Chris, I mean, do we see in the office that we pick up who claim to be fine? Probably yeah. 80%. Maybe. Yeah. And then when they get fixed, they come back and they say, I didn't know I was supposed to feel this good. Yeah. You know, I'm just getting old. And you're not, I mean, Marie, you're still a youngster. Remember when they thought you were my wife? <laughs> we were, <laughs> seriously. Not we were at, we, yeah. That, you ever heard of that, him? Go ahead. They thought you were married to an older lady. Well, no. They thought we were the same age. That's how young you look. We were at Ham and Yam. Have you ever been to that? In yeah, yeah, County? yeah. And I, I decided to have a booth. We were taking blood pressures and doing cholesterols. We had education things up there. Oh, good heavens. We should, have, we should do Ham and Yam next year. And so they're sitting there, and a patient came up and said, Hi, Mrs. Weefall, to Marie. And I said, Yeah, yeah, we've been married for a grand total of about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Marie, we got to run. Listen, bless you. Listen, don't... I'm enjoying your show, Doctor. We follow, and you are the best. Well, I love you, and you hang Thank in. Thank you, okay? Marie. Thank you, Marie. Take care. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. You know you make me wanna get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio. Doctor Franklin Weefold in studio along with Doctor Chris Gigi. And here is John in Garner. How you doing, John? Hey, good afternoon. I'm I'm doing well, other than some allergies, which always hits this time of year. Can't do anything about those. So what's up? I, uh, okay, uh, I know your time's running short. So uh, about eight weeks ago, I got put on blood pressure medicine. I'm 69 years old. Yes. Uh, my wife's been on it our whole marriage, and I just randomly checked my uh, blood pressure with her monitor every once in a while, and sure enough, it was. 155, 145, over like 85, sometimes 90. So yeah. I went to the doctor. They put me on chlorothiazide, and uh, it's come down to like 120, over 75. So that's probably good. Yeah. So here I am. I'm going, you know, all of a sudden, had I not just been checking randomly, who would have known? And am I stuck? Am I on it for the rest of my life now? Could I get off every other day and see what happens? Yeah, could let, I get off completely? And sure. Let me let me let me ask some personal question. I have a personal question. Um, are you overweight? No, I'm not overweight. Good. And is there a family history of high blood pressure? Yes, but both my parents had it late in life. Okay. I mean, in their seventies, probably. Yeah. And how much do you exercise? I exercise quite a bit. I exercise three or four times a week. I swim. Okay. You sound like you're doing everything good. Uh, do you try to avoid salt in your diet, like salty foods? Okay, well, you're doing everything right. I imagine you don't smoke either. No, so, no. you know, rest of your life, that's a hard thing to say. There are a group of people that once you get their blood pressure treated, interestingly, six to nine months later, you come off the medicines and it doesn't come back. Hmm. So uh, it's possible that's going to happen to you. Um, but you know, if you wind up, if you wind up being on a medication all the time and you're tolerating it, that's not such a bad thing. Now, I I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. So you ever heard of a bell curve where you take that, you know, it, it, 
that curve on a test. Did you know that for some people, a normal blood pressure is 160 over 100? What does mm. that mean? It means yeah. that they are not at health risk, even though their blood pressure is over the, the line in the middle, right. which we call 120 over 80. Now, we can't tell yet who is okay at 160 over 100. And there are, you know, I got lots of patients whose blood pressure is 80 over 50. And they're mm. doing fine. There's usually small little people, mm -hmm. uh, ladies especially. So number one, if you wind up having to take a medicine to get your blood pressure under control, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, I take four, okay? And yeah. I, I, I love it because it's gotten me to where I need to go in all the aspects of my life. And, you know, um, I think maybe if you try to um, drink a little more water, uh, right. How do you sleep? That's another big thing. How's your sleeping? It, it's pretty good. I, I, I wake up once a night with prostate, of course. Hey, you and me. I woke up three times last night. I don't know what the heck was going on. Yeah, it's funny how that'll hit. Normally, it's just once, but you yeah. sleep okay. Yeah. But uh, so okay. did I hear? Because I'm going. You suggested in six months. I'm yeah, I, I would keep yourself hydrated. It's interesting. Um, there's a lot of data now that um, you know frequent. Uh, urination due to hydration yeah. uh, may lower blood pressure. Um, and then exercise. But let me tell you, I can't emphasize enough sleep. Okay, so just think about it. You may think you're in the bed and your eyes are closed and, you know, getting up once a night to urinate is not a bad idea. But if you wake up tired and if you feel yourself fatigued at the end of the day or even in the middle of the day, it may be a poor sleep pattern when you're in bed at nighttime. So think about that. I found blood pressures, diabetes, weight gain can all be uh, ameliorated by getting better sleep. I mean, I'm not saying you have sleep apnea, but it could be a lot of different things. So if your blood pressure is still elevated and you're tired all the time, you have a headache in the morning, um, you fall asleep in the afternoon, Get yourself looked at for a sleep disturbance because believe it or not, you know, if you fix that, your blood pressure may very well go back to normal. I can't promise, right. but that's one of the things that I see. Thank you, John. Well, gentlemen, that's that's Is the that show it? for today. Yeah. I'm no sorry. way. Well, well Chris, I, I just want to tell everybody that Chris is going to be in the office. Yeah. You're going to meet him. Uh, he's uh, going to uh, assist me yep. in keeping... Your yep. heart healthy. Very good. You can listen to Heart Health Radio. If you missed any of the show, listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.